Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, September 7th. How homeless people are coping with the heat wave. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. High temps are expected today as the heat wave continues. Temperatures are expected to stay in the high 80s and reach the 90s by Friday. It's not expected to cool down until the weekend. The National Weather Service extended the excessive heat warning to Friday at 8 p.m. for San Diego County's coast and valleys. The warning is in effect for the mountain and desert areas until Thursday at 8 p.m. With the heat waves straining the grid, Cal ISIL has issued flex alerts for the last seven days. The agency is also tapping other sources for energy. This past weekend, it asked the Carlsbad desalination plant to reduce its output by 20%. The San Diego County Water Authority is also helping out by using Lake Hodges pumped storage facilities to generate electricity to help meet peak demand. That's expected to generate enough energy to power roughly 20,000 homes. UC San Diego will use its largest donation yet to fund an institute tasked with expanding stem cell research and regenerative medicine. The $150 million donation is from businessman and philanthropist T. Denny Sanford. It will primarily be used to do research on stem cells in space. The university's chancellor said the donation will help the university better understand the progression of cancer cells and aging. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. You've been thinking about helping KPBS with a donation. Why not donate that extra car you no longer need? Pickup is free, and you're supporting KPBS Public Media. Here's how. Visit kpbs.careasy.org. San Diegans are doing what they can to stay cool as the heat wave drags on. But KPBS reporter John Carroll says keeping cool when you live on the street is nearly impossible. Along Commercial Street under the I-5, city crews were out cleaning up the sidewalks, sidewalks where unsheltered people live. Rachel Olson told us it's especially difficult to pick up and move during this heat. They make us move every other day, like, and sometimes they wait until it gets really hot out and they make us move. And a lot of people can't move their stuff because either they're handicapped. The city of San Diego told us they have had people out distributing cold bottled water to the unsheltered along with information about the dozens of cooling centers across the city and county. John Carroll, KPBS News. U.S. Marshals are looking for the man dubbed Fat Leonard. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh says Leonard France's decision to flee provides another twist to the decade-long Navy corruption case. Malaysian businessman Leonard Glenn Francis pleaded guilty to defrauding the Navy in 2015. He was at the heart of a corruption probe that snared nearly 30 naval officials. Francis was awaiting sentencing when the U.S. Marshals were notified Sunday that he had cut his ankle monitor. Omar Castillo is the deputy supervisor for the U.S. Marshals Southern District of California. We went to the house that afternoon 
I knocked on the door, no answer. Uh, looking through the windows, it looked pretty vacant. Uh, found an unlocked door, and my task force officers went in. Leonard has few ties to the United States. His business was based in Singapore. He lived with three of his children who are Filipino. The U.S. Marshal's Office believes Francis may have fled internationally. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. This fall, students across San Diego County are again adjusting to being back on campus and face-to-face full-time. The start of the new semester is especially challenging for students who are visually impaired. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez tells us how their special needs are being met and celebrated. Step up, buttons in front, forward left, find the button that's in front of you. These are very specific directions for a very specific young student. We use the back of the hand because we don't know if there's something on the button or if the button is hot. 15-year-old Grace DeBerry is feeling her way across Orange Avenue in Coronado and listening to traffic all around her. Right off my right shoulder is where the car should be. Grace has been blind since birth because of an underdeveloped optic nerve that can't carry messages from her eyes to her brain. It's a bit scary at first because there are literal cars, but after doing it for a few years, it gets easier because I know what to expect most of the time and it just becomes something I do every day. Let's give us a safety sweep, left to right. Very nice, step up. The voice she listens to belongs to Jim Perandi, an orientation and mobility specialist with the San Diego County Office of Education. He works with five or six visually impaired students every day in districts from Coronado to San Isidro, teaching them life skills and helping with accommodations for their schoolwork. It's not about failure. It's not about meeting my expectations. It's about them reaching the highest level of independence that they can in the amount of time that it takes to do that safely. He has worked with Grace since she was in second grade. I'm trailing the grass line that's to my right, Good. so I have a boundary. So I want you to find the front She is now the a freshman at Coronado High School, already enrolled in advanced placement computer science, along with math and English classes. Grace is growing up with her other senses sharpened and has only a little interest in what she might never see. Honestly, uh, probably just my family, and I've heard the stars are pretty beautiful, so I'd want to see the night sky, but I don't really want sight because I'd have to relearn everything. Barandi has more than 16 years of experience. That includes time as an EMT, security officer, a credentialed special education teacher with a master's degree, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he is visually impaired. At 24 years old, I had an injury to my left eye uh, where I had a retinal attachment and I lost the majority of the vision in my left eye and I didn't get it back. Sometimes Perandi covers his one good eye so that he can relate to what his student is experiencing. So you're at the end of the 500 building. We're gonna work on going to the front office and the nurse's office. At San Isidro Middle School, there is another student success story involving 12-year-old Diego Caparon also blind since birth, with prosthetics for both his eyes. He has never seen light or even shadows, only complete darkness. That has not stopped him from dreams of someday playing professional football. I love football, yes. What uh, position do you play? Oh, I don't, uh, I haven't figured that out yet. 
when I'm throwing the ball, someone just makes a noise like, a, like they clap or something. And I just throw it at the direction. Diego is supported by his visual impairment teacher, too. Tanya Gonzalez is another member of the San Diego County Office of Education team. Gonzalez is a person who can see, and she says she has been educated by so many of her students who cannot. My students can generally tell if a person is naturally kind, good-hearted, not because of the way they look, but by the way they're interacted with. Diego's perseverance sets an example for all the other visually impaired students across the county like him, who just want success and happiness. Treat them normal. Treat them the way normal people are treated. That is a lesson for all of us that is clear to see. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. Coming up, a new student housing project is underway at UC San Diego. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. <laughs> it's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. UC San Diego has broken ground on a new student housing project. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says the dorms will house more than 1,300 students. Specifically, transfer students and other upperclassmen who face stiff competition trying to get on-campus housing. The new dorms are going up right next to the campus's Blue Line trolley stop. And there are even more dorms under construction elsewhere on campus. Pradeep Kosla, the university's chancellor, says housing costs, whether on campus or off, are a huge burden on students. In San Diego, because there's already a shortage of housing, it makes it worse. So I think as a campus, we owe it to our students to use the land that has been given to us by the community effectively to build housing for our students. The dorm project is benefiting from a $100 million grant from the state government, which will help keep the rents affordable for low-income students. Andrew Bowen, KPBS News. Comic-Con has become a huge event, not just for San Diego, but for pop culture fans around the globe. During the pandemic, Matthew Klickstein created a podcast called Comic-Con Begins, 
which presented an oral history of the pop culture convention. But he had always planned for those interviews to be a book. Now his book, See You at San Diego, an oral history of Comic-Con, fandom, and the triumph of geek culture is on sale. Author Matthew Klickstein spoke with KPBS arts reporter Beth Hakamondo about his book. Matthew, before we start talking about the content of See You at San Diego, your new book, I want you to talk about the graphic design of the book because it's so visually engaging. First of all, thanks for so saying. I'm extremely proud of how this book turned out, and I definitely need to name drop Jonathan Barley, our genius designer. He really brought my vision to the page. He brought a lot of his own creative ideas and innovations. Jonathan's design is beautiful, not just in how the photos came together and with the text, but also, uh, as people will see when they see the book, there's a real motif to it where we have this kind of quality where we made it look like it was a series of kind of archives and such with paper clips and scotch tape and post-it notes. And that was really important and a lot of work for me and a lot of work for Jonathan, who was actually putting it all together. Um, as far as the photos are concerned yourself, you're right. It's the photos and the art, most of which people have never seen before. We have over 400 pictures and art in there. Francis Ford Coppola at the con in 1974, Frank Capra, all different kinds of people that you wouldn't even expect to be at the con or in the geek culture world are in these pictures. And they are so fantastic. A lot of intimate stuff with people like Trina Robbins and George DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio's father and also an underground comics guy and publisher himself. You know, all these different people all together. And that's where they all came together was at places like Comic-Con every year for decades to celebrate not just themselves and their work, but their passions and fandoms. And I'm so proud of how it turned out again, not just for the photos themselves, but also a lot of the artwork that we have in there from different zines and sketches. So I see myself as more as of a curator, as more of a producer than even a writer or an author. I just, and I couldn't have done it without all these people supporting me. I, I think we did it right. And I'm really excited to see what everyone else is going to say about it. Now, since you are someone who is immersed in geek culture, was there anything that came up during these interviews that really surprised you or stories that you had never heard and just, you know, were thrilled to get? Uh, certainly the big one is that Comic-Con was never just about comics. You know, that's still something that comes up all the time. Oh, Comic-Con changed so much. It's no longer about comics. Well, the first part of that's definitely true. It went from 100 attendees to 150,000 attendees. So yes, Comic-Con has changed quite a bit over the last 50 years, but it's never just been about the comics. It's been about so many other different things. It's really been about pop culture overall and, you know, influenced by things like Sheldorf's involvement with the Triple Fanfare, where he came from in Detroit. That was specifically about these three different things, along with some other stuff, too. Movies, animation, comics. So Comic-Con was always about all of pop culture. I mean, there was a special place just for Star Trek as early as 1973. And they were having the discussions even back then that they would have in later years, like with, when in 2008 with Twilight coming in, where is this becoming too much about this other thing? But no, it's about what we're doing too. Star Trek is about fandom. Twilight is about fandom. It's just another fandom that's coming in. Let's welcome it with, uh, with open arms, especially if it's bringing in a lot of other people. So that's something that was very important. But uh, I'll go, too, with 
I loved hearing about and reading about and learning about the history of Star Trek fandom through this. And one thing that I'm very, very proud of is really giving a lot more spotlight, I hope, to B. Joe Tremble. B. Joe is such an important person in the fandom community and certainly an important person in the Star Trek community who, right after the second season was originally canceled, she was able to get everyone together nationwide, I think even beyond that, to get 25,000 fans to write letters to the network to say, we want this show back. B. Joe and John were not wealthy people, so they had a fundraise just to get enough money for all the postage stamps and whatnot. They're not doing this on Facebook. They're not doing this online. They're doing it physically to bring back Star Trek. You know, spoiler alert, it worked. They were able to get Star Trek to come back for the third season, and if that hadn't happened, Star Trek likely wouldn't have been syndicated, and we very likely would not be talking about it right now. That was author Matthew Klickstein speaking with KPBS's Beth Accomando. He will be at the American Cinema Tech in L.A. with a celebrity panel to discuss the book tomorrow. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.